Hello and welcome to the Hardy Brain, the show that takes athletic, introverted entrepreneurs and leaders and transforms them into ironclad brain performers. I'm your host, Dr. David Hardy. And today on our show, we've got another amazing guest. He is a director, actor, drummer, writer, speaker, and cancer survivor. Welcome to the show, Justin Sandler. How are you doing today? Hey, hey, Dr. Dave. I am fantastic. How are you? Oh, great. I'm excited about this. Uh, you've got a wealth too. of experience here. And can you kind of just walk us through kind of your career in the arts and how you got started and kind of how things have progressed for yourself then? Um, yes, it's a it's a, a lot of information, so I'll try to condense. Um, I mean, when I was just a little tiny kid, I got into um, music. That was my first love. I okay. wanted to be a drummer since I was a little kid. But uh, violin was what I had to play in school. And I eventually started doing drums after a few years of that. And then I was forced to play trumpet because there was too many drummers. And I eventually taught myself drums on the side in high school. And lo and behold, years later, I would turn pro as a drummer. Um, but I do play trumpet. I do play some guitar and bass and a few other things. So I've been a musician my entire life. And that has been sort of a constant. When I went away to college, I was... Um, I was there to get a real degree, quote unquote. Um, <laughs> I wanted to do music. My parents wanted to help me. We have a lot of uh, musicians in the family who are all very talented, but who also you know, struggled financially for a long time. So they're like, we'll help you with some of college. We'd like you to go and get a real degree, though. You can play music on the side. So somehow I said, OK, I'll get a real degree. And I got a degree in telecommunications and theater. Okay. So if you want to call that a real degree. Um, but you know, I had a BA. Um, my my focus in, in telecom was television studio directing, and in theater, it was acting and theater directing. And within three months of graduating from college, I got a job directing and producing local cable TV in Chicago. So I got a job in my field, and I was producing, directing, and creating all kinds of cool local programming in the Chicago market and the suburbs for a couple of years. And then I got an opportunity to come out to the California area, and I was in the Palm Springs in the Coachella Valley, the Fox and... Uh, Telemundo and ABC affiliate stations hired me to be a director producer for commercials. So that was my big leap out west, staying within line of what I went to school for. Still playing music on the side, but most of my performing um, desires were kind of on hold. But after a couple of years out there in that small market, and I was you know just in my mid twenties, I started to really starve for more, and I wanted to expand myself. I wanted to create bigger, and I wanted to literally perform as an actor, as a musician, etc. I was two hours from LA. So I started driving back and forth literally once a week to start going to acting classes, to start getting jobs, extra work and things like that until I finally decided to make the full-time move into Los Angeles. And life just went bananas from there. I was focused on acting and then music took off. And next thing you know, I'm recording albums. I'm touring the world. I bought my own tour bus. I mean, life just went in a bunch of crazy directions. Then acting came back wow. again. Matthew McConaughey gave me my first real film role in a film called Surfer Dude. And then I had a run of a bunch of national commercials as a leading actor. Uh, when I met my wife back in 2009, we put our skills together. She's a cinematographer and photographer, me being a director and editor, put it all together. And then we formed our company called Three Cubed Studios LLC in 2011. And we've been growing that company also alongside of everything else to, you know, not just do stuff for hire as a photographer or a film company, a lot of corporate and things like that, but to also start creating our own content. And we did right. release our first original short film 
um, that came out in uh, 2016. We ended up going on a 22 festival tour. We won five awards. I got she picked up one of the awards for best actor in a leading role. And, you know, things Amazing. were really kind of going going well. And we were kind of moving through all of the direction um, I had a national commercial running that I was the leading actor in making good money. I was playing drums in two bands. We had this film that just came off the tour. Uh, we were getting ready to start writing the next project. I was uh, athletically and physically at the top of my game. I was competing at the Gold's Gym Fitness Challenge. I was playing in a weekly flag football league, which is something I hadn't done since college. I was having so much fun, really feeling like so much in my life was really clicking. And I was right. like, man, this, everything's feeling right. Everything was just feeling good. And I felt like everything was in alignment to go to the next level. And I was like, yeah, I'm ready for the next big thing. And I felt it. I felt it throughout my entire being, my spiritual being, knew I was ready for the next level. And right. then I got diagnosed with cancer. Bam. No. <laughs> Detour. <laughs> and, and then oh. literally, and that was in, in May uh, 4th of 2017, I got a diagnosis of a germ cell cancer tumor. A germ cell is one of the first sort of cells that move when we're just little embryos. And my one of my germ cells got stuck along the way and embedded itself behind my chest wall. It laid dormant for my entire life. Something woke it up one day being in the wrong place at the wrong time. It just started rapidly multiplying and multiplying until one day I woke up and I just couldn't breathe. I felt sick. And we went and got uh, some CT scans done. And turns out I had this tumor, it was almost 14 centimeters long and it was right in the middle of my chest and it was elbowing my right lung one way and my heart the other way. And it was like, holy shit, like this is not anything small. This is a very aggressive cancer. When I got the diagnosis and this bananas treatment plan, they said to me, the cancer hasn't spread beyond the tumor, but the unfortunate news is that if we don't get really aggressive with treatments now, the cancer will not kill you. This tumor is growing so fast into your heart that it will crush your heart, you know, within the next probably month or two. So it was like, Whoa. holy smokes, here we go. And so from that day forward, everything in my life got tossed up and everything that I thought I was doing in the direction I thought I was going completely changed. What kind of emotionally just hit you? Like, what were you feeling? Uh, obviously, like these are big things that that career-wise and relationship-wise were happening to you and all of a sudden big cancer diagnosis, this thing can crush your heart. Uh, walk us through like just what kind of emotion just hits you and was flowing through you at that, that point in time. The first, I wouldn't call it an emotion, but mm -hmm. the, I guess the first feeling that I can recall is just being like, no, I don't have time for this. I'm too busy. <laughs> I have too many things going on. I got, I have a, a, a theatrical agent, a commercial agent. I have bands. I have a career. I have a film company. I have projects in the works. I have, I have things I want to do. I have, I've been, you know, physically fit and, you know, continuing to build my body and do modeling and all kinds of other stuff. Like I don't have time to do this. I don't have time to take a break and I don't want to go through this. I don't want to be, I don't want to lose weight and muscle and hair and have surgeries and like the, 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 
prescription for what the treatment plan was completely insanity. I mean, the amount of chemotherapy they wanted me to do. I mean, it wasn't just like going in for a, you know, session for an hour, once every couple of weeks, it was literally moving into UCLA hospital for a week at a time to do three different types of chemo, 24 hours a day, continuous for the entire week with Whoa. a two week break in between and then go back in and to rinse and repeat for at least four rounds until this type of tumor germ cell will not um, kind of melt away. Sometimes like a, I compare it to like a lymphoma where you can do chemo and lymphomas will kind of kind of melt away from the chemo. And then when they're, they're not, not detected any longer, they call it remission. But with a germ cell tumor, it essentially leaves behind a fossil. It, just, it shrinks somewhat, but what's left is a hardened mass of dead cells that stay stuck to the organs. So then they said, so, once we- So obviously that, you didn't know this at the time though. So- I did. You did with the germ cell and the different type of tumors. Um, what was kind of your research project along this this path, though, um, or what information were you exposed to before that that kind of said, okay, well, maybe I need to do this and this? I have been into um, health and wellness for most of my life. Physical fitness, healthy diet. I had gone plant based in 2011, so I was already on that trajectory. You know, I had a spiritual practice. One of them is being Buddhism. Uh, my diet, my workouts, my you know my routines, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And I had done research already around cancers, just because of my overall curiosity of alternative healing. Okay. So when I got diagnosed. You know, they started throwing at me all these Western medicine things. I was like, heck no, because <laughs> I, I had already known about alternative treatments and other things out there that can help with cancers and things, because I, I believe there are a lot of treatments available that the, you know, the Western medicine world will not guide you towards. I mean, quite honestly, because there's no money to be made. <laughs> you know? right. So, and it's not part of the, the official protocol. Mm -hmm. And I, I get it. The doctors are, a lot of them are just trying to do their job of what they know that, to do the best for their patients to, you know, come up with survival. So I don't fault a lot of my team. It turned out that the type of tumor I had was different though. So I, I wasn't the type of guy to get a diagnosis and then suddenly like hit up Google and start searching germ cell, germ cell, germ cell to, cause I, I know that I would just start seeing all the bad stuff. That's, you know, right. so I never researched it a single time as far as my specific cancer and all that. Um, I got the, the information from my team on the day of the diagnosis, my cardiothoracic surgeon laid out everything and then said, okay, you're leaving my office and you're going to head straight to Santa Monica to meet with your new oncologist. And then she laid out everything else. So I had a wealth of information from my two doctors on the team of everything that they wanted to do, which was the entire plan of the chemo followed by a full sawed open chest surgery to remove the, the uh, dead tumor and whatever else is connected to it. And at that point, I was, I was really thrown into a, a total spin because I didn't want to accept doing chemo. I didn't want the long-term effects that I know chemo can cause the side effects. And cause you know, everything about chemo, it's, it, it kills everything. It just, it just comes through and it goes when it just destroys everything in its way. And the goal is that they hope it takes out the cancer with everything that it takes out and that right. hopefully we can bring someone just to the edge and not too far over the edge and bring them back. And I knew that that's not what I wanted to do. But I had to really go deep spiritually within myself and understand the type of situation I was facing. And what that meant is that 
even if I was to start, and I was already doing some alternative treatments, I was I already got on a, a cannabis oil called Rick Simpson oil or RSO, which is known to have tumor fighting properties and a lot of other health benefits. And I was already doing things naturally that I would start doing to go uh, work against the cancer. But when I really realized what I was facing and that these alternatives may or may not help in my particular type of cancer, I didn't have enough time to wait and see if they would work. Right. Because because the tumor was growing so fast. I mean, literally, it was when I found it, it was so large that I was having trouble taking deep breaths and it kept growing. I mean, in the two weeks that we got the first scan and then the scan during my testing, it had grown an entire centimeter more. So Whoa. as they kept getting bigger, you know, it's multiplying at a ra more rapid rate. And so like if I bent over forward, the pressure on my chest was so bad that I just had to you know, lean back up. And so I was like, all right, well, I can keep taking my cannabis oil and whatever other supplements I have. But if we don't start seeing results within days from now, then this is going to just keep getting worse. And, and who knows how much time I have left. And, right, and exactly. I had a really deep talk with my oncologist who her name is Dr. Drakaki. I love her to death to this day. We're very close. And she said, I understand exactly what you're saying. And I, I sympathize with everything you're saying, but I'm not going to let you die. And I need you to follow this protocol. And so, so I took a couple of days to think about it. And I only had a couple of days because they wanted me moving into the hospital that following Monday. Of course, the insurance companies made things difficult. They didn't approve it right away. So it, I didn't end up getting started until Tuesday night, Wednesday morning. But I eventually said, okay, uh, I don't want to die in a month from now. I have too right. much to do in this world still. So I am going to trust the team. And we're just going to go for it. So it was a it was a big hard decision that I had to make, and it went against everything I stood for. And at the same time, I realized deep down that I didn't have time to mess around. Right. It was just so aggressive compared to other cancers that can take years to even become preclinical. Oh, uh, this sure. was just right growing there, and <laughs> yeah, there's no other option for you. Um, yeah. So you did the protocol that was recommended to you and uh, kind of what uh, was the recovery and uh, what have you kind of learned uh, about it since and, uh, and uh, ways you've improved your health uh, following all this, this uh, Got it. chaos. Yeah. So it's a, that's a, again, a pretty, a big question because there's a, a lot that went into it. You know, we, we got in, we started, the whole thing of, I mean, you have to have a surgery and have a port installed in your chest. You got to get rigged up to these machines and you've got all the chemo and all the other meds and all the things. And I mean, it really like, these were three very strong chemotherapies and the germ cell is related to testicular cancer. So one of the chemos, the germ cell, reproductive cell. So one of the, one of the chemos was specifically that a testicular cancer patient would use. Therefore, my doctor even had me go to a sperm bank in Santa Monica and, you know, put a, put some little swimmers on an ice just in case because uh, of what would happen. Uh, so I'm still paying rent on those. So after the first round, you know, it was rough, but it wasn't the worst thing in the world. 10 days or so after the first round, my hair started completely falling out. By the time I started the second round, I was just, you know, hair was just falling everywhere and we just had to shave the rest of it off. So I started round two completely bald. By the end of round two, all my hair stopped growing. The, you know, I did my best to stay strong. I brought my own food into the hospital. I made sure they had a fridge there every time. I brought in fresh squeezed juices, alkaline water, you know, 
organic almond butters, I, I, my protein shakes. I wasn't just going to rely on hospital food or just whatever. Like I made sure I had my nutrients. Furthermore, right. I was very active while in the hospital. I had my stuff to this pole with the poles on wheels. So at least three times a day, I would get up and walk laps around the entire oncology ward just to make sure my body was still moving. I had those exercise resistance bands. So I'm in the room with the pole in one hand and I'm <laughs> popping curls with the other. Cause I was like, you know what? I, I saw everybody else on the floor, very sick people yes. who were in their beds, watching TV, biding time. And I'm like, I'm not going to be that. I didn't turn my TV on once. My nice. job was to make my experience the most beneficial that I could was to not just physically do it, but I was journaling every day. I was doing Buddhist chanting in my, in my, uh, I call it my hotel room, my hospital room, um, <laughs> doing all my practices, meditation, listening by neural beats, essential oils. I mean, like everything came to the table. I wasn't just going to, and I was doing my cannabis oil while in the hospital also. <laughs> so, I mean, that, that helped in many ways, especially just kept me feeling nice and comfortable. But it did get worse every round. Every round I got sicker, lost more weight, more nausea, more vomiting, more of water being retained in my legs and et cetera. But what's really, really important, I want to go back to the weekend of the diagnosis, is after I got this diagnosis, and this is what I say, I say it in my book, in my TED Talk, everywhere else I've spoken, I always preach this, and I'm going to do it here on your show as well, is yep. that I say, don't, don't wait for something to go wrong before you start taking care of yourself. Exactly. And what I mean by this is there it's physical, it's mental, it's emotional, it's spiritual. There are so many ways that we can keep ourselves tuned up in shape, good diet, exercise, some kind of a spiritual practice, anything like that. Because what happens is when something happens and inevitably things happen in our lives, challenges happen. Of course, they're not all going to be cancer or something that big. But no one makes it all the way through their adult life without facing some things. Exactly. And if you wait yeah. until that thing nails you before you start to figure things out, it's like you're already too late. It's like the things like, when's the best time to plant a tree? You know, it's like, okay, now, I guess now, but it should have been 20 years ago. And that's what a lot of people do is like suddenly they start eating healthy. Suddenly they find God or suddenly they try to come up with a plan. But I had all those in place and I was so grateful that I already kind of knew what to do. And what happened was, <clears throat> excuse me, when I, got the diagnosis, I dropped into very deep meditative spaces and I dropped into a lot of my Buddhist chanting. I even got together with about 15 members of the Buddhist community who all were there uh, at someone's house that they got together to chant for my victory, for my health. Wow. And they were doing it on their own. They didn't know I was even going to be like, come. And I showed up and <laughs> I, I, was, I was in so much pain that I could barely chant myself. But I got in the front of the room with 15 people behind me, flanking me, chanting rigorously and vigorously with all this force and I felt it and I heard it and I went in there myself and I dropped into one of the deepest meditative states I have ever been in. And when I was there, the words of the message started to come to me and it was embrace cancer, love cancer, free cancer. And I boiled those down to the words embrace love free, which has become my philosophy, my platform and everything. But essentially it, it, gave me a mindset right off the bat on how to face this. Embrace. Welcome it in. Accept that it's there. Realize it's not going away, so don't live in denial. You don't, I don't have to like what's happening to me, but I have to really accept that, it, that it's there. And I have to be like, okay, it's there. I accept it. You're there. I'm not going to fight you. I'm not going to deny you. I'm going to get myself in a place of peace so that I can figure out what to do next. And embracing was so important. But the next step was that love energy. 
which means instead of fighting or hating or go to war, going to war with my tumor, I immediately went into a space of love, of how can I vibrate on my highest level? How can I even give appreciation to the chemo that I didn't want to do? I mean, I would look at the pole of chemo in the hospital and I would chant and send good vibrations to the chemo and say, welcome into my body. You know, do your job. Let's, let's just get this through. Let's do this together. I love you. I appreciate you. Even with my tumor, I didn't hate it. People were like, kick its ass and go to war and fight, fight, fight. And I'm like, no, you know, this is my, this is my body. These, this tumor is a collection of my cells, which is part of me made for me and living inside of me. So I'm not going to start targeting negative energy and violence. You know, we, we declare war on everything all through yes, our history. Yeah. Everything's a war and they never are successful. Never. So no, I'm going to declare, I'm going to declare love. And so we developed the relationship. My tumor, his name is JT, Justin's tumor. Um, <laughs> he, he does appear later in my life as well as a character. Yeah, no, being an artist, yeah. <laughs> Do you have like a, a song and dance for it as well? Like, uh... Oh, well, I wrote a whole one-man show. We can get that later, but he has his own <laughs> character in the show. He sings, he does poetry. We do a number together. It's a whole thing. Uh, but, you know, being able to hold my chest and talk to him and say thank you and I love you and appreciation where, you know, you were in the wrong place at the wrong time, but I don't fault you. You're just trying to survive like anything. All living things just want to survive. So this tumor, you're not good. You're not bad. You just are. And if I love and if I am appreciative and if I say thank you and consider this tumor to be a mentor, a teacher, and something that has given me a reason to change my life for the better, then there's good coming from it. And this whole embrace love free is about taking that challenge that I was given and finding the opportunity and the obstacle. Finding and, a way. And how did, how did you forward. do that though? So uh, it sounds like you, you were living life pretty good before. Um, how has it changed you to, to love more, to, to help others more? Um, what was the, the kind of, uh, uh, progression from there? Uh, <laughs> There, okay, so yes, um, doing all the right things, yes. Um, being an artist on a mission to inspire and, and create message-driven content has been part of who I am. The songs I used to write, uh, the film that I mentioned earlier that went to the festivals was about overcoming depression and suicidal thoughts. So I was already on that track. But the thing about even that film, that depressed character in the film was was strongly based off of me and experiences I've had with depression and anxiety and not seeing the greater good around me. And even though I was on this mission, I also was very closed down emotionally, especially from my heart center. I was no. very um, easily to go to the negative. I was giving love, giving, 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 but I wasn't receiving. There was not a full circle happening. I had shut myself emotionally down and closed my heart down when I was um, like, a, like 12, 13 years old. And I had a lot of trauma in my life, uh, loss of a family member, trouble in school, a lot of things all at the same time. And being sensitive or feeling emotions worked against me in every facet. And so I shut right. it down and I locked them up so tight that I didn't cry a tear for over 20 years. I had to literally go to uh, workshops and and events to learn how to feel again and how to let tears flow again and all this stuff. And so when I got the diagnosis and I was going through the motions and in the hospital and this started happening during the rounds of chemo, I started to like really connect the dots and I started to find ways of taking responsibility for the place I was in and very careful about saying that I didn't blame myself 
but by taking some responsibility, it gave me some power. And what that meant was I said, I shut my heart down and lived this whole time in my life with an emotionally closed heart. And now I've grown a tumor into that heart. Uh, How could that, where there, there has to be a connection there. Again, I'm not to blame. It's not my fault, but Hey, how could I have contributed to this where there's now a tumor in the heart that I had shut down? Hello, wake up. Uh, So it started to make me realize that I needed to start cracking open this heart center. If I wanted to survive and if I wanted to go on through the rest of my life, I needed to really learn how to come from the heart in the, the biggest way possible. Secondly, when I was going through the, some of the hardest times around the middle of my chemo, the thing that, that clicked one day, I just kind of like, it just hit me. I was like, Justin, this isn't about you. I mean, it, it is my story, but this is about me going through this and surviving so I can go out there and help as many people as I can. My survival is to help other people. And taking it off of me, taking the responsibility off of needing to survive just for my own needs and saying, hey, we're going to be a better person and we're going to go out there and do good for the world on a bigger scale than ever, said, okay, I need to survive. I need to get to the other side of this because there's a lot of work to do out there. And so on the hardest of days, that just kept being my North Star, just kept pushing me to keep going and to keep showing up even when I was literally like completely down and going through the hardest of hard. Um, I had to face that open chest surgery, which was the gnarliest thing I've ever been through. Even the people at the hospital, some of the people that were in the surgery who had been working there for years said it was the most intense surgery they had ever been witness to. Because not only did they have to solve with my sternum, but it turned out that this tumor was stuck to my right lung, my heart, my largest vein, and several other small items inside of my chest. So when they did the procedure and pulled out the tumor, they took out the majority of my right lung. They took out the entire inside wall of my pericardial pericardial sac and patched it with a material called Gore-Tex, so I'm part raincoat. They had to remove (laughs) my superior vena cava vein because it was too compromised. You can't live without that, so they rebuilt me a new one with bovine heart tissue. So I'm also part cow and uh, waking up from surgery, you know, being with that information was something I wasn't expecting. (laughs) A little shocking as a long time vegan. And it sounds like they had had no idea about it as well. So no, I I knew. And you sign off on a lot of paperwork when you go into surgery and like you may die. You have to sign your name. But one of them did not say you may wake up part cow. Uh, So. So, so, it was, so where uh, did they go? Did they just go down to the ice freezer in the basement and find you, find you a bovine? Yeah, I ta- they went, thing? they went down to Whole Foods and the butcher. I have no idea, but they, <laughs> they had something on hand. They used the, the bovine heart tissue to literally create uh, this new vein and they were amazing. Do other things, et cetera, et cetera. And then I was, you know, after a week in the ICU, I was sent home to recover. And you had asked about, you know, the recovery and stuff. Well, it, recovering from an open chest surgery was like the, some of the hardest. I, I couldn't, I was like a newborn baby. I couldn't massive. even lift my head up. There was so much pain in my chest and the sternum was all, you know, held together by this, uh, these titanium coils. And I couldn't be, I couldn't even be left alone because like I couldn't get up off the couch. I couldn't, my head, I mean, I had to have a hospital bed put in my bedroom and I had to stay in and, and just get out of bed. It was, it took me two months before I could start doing walks and start like just getting myself together. So here's another interesting thing that came up. I was finally given the green light to start rebuilding myself and to start slight, like very light weights, little tiny weights, little bit of resistance, little bit of treadmill just to start going. And, you know, me, I'm like balls to the wall. So I wanted to like (laughs) 
I'm going to show the world how to rebuild. Look at this. Let's go. And maybe I pushed it a little too hard, but you know, nevertheless, there was a complication that had happened. And uh, by that November, uh, I was, I had to go to the hospital. I was having trouble breathing and weird pains in my chest. We couldn't figure out what it was. I had to see my doctor who sent me to a cardiologist who then sent me to go get a scan, a full echocardiogram. And here I go, if it's part divine intervention or, you know, if it's also letting me know that, hey, there was still more work to do around my heart center. But it turned out that the day I had that echocardiogram, and it was a Saturday, believe it or not, I left. My wife and I had to go to a party that day, a holiday party in the afternoon. And I was feeling fine. And I wandered off to, to use the bathroom at one point. My phone was in my pocket, but it was turned off. I just glanced down at it, and there was three missed calls and voicemails. So it turns out that my cardiologist was trying to get a hold of me. And he got, got me finally. He's like, where are you? And I'm like, oh, I'm at a party. He's like, you need to leave right now and head straight to the hospital. <laughs> he didn't tell me what was going on. And he told me later why. Um, all right, I guess we'll, you know, we'll head over. Well, what happened was I, I had a cardiac tamponade. Uh, I'm sure you know what that is, but for the audience at home, this is when your your heart sac fills up with so much fluid that your heart can no longer properly beat with inside of it. When I got to the hospital, there was over one liter of fluid gathered inside of my pericardial sac, and my heart was collapsing. The top right aorta had already collapsed down, and the rest of the heart was already struggling to beat inside of this fluid. And they couldn't believe that I was so energetic and up and talkative and walking because I'm crazy. Like I I was in the (laughs) hospital like, I'm fine. Everything's great. Like, nope. So they had to rush me into surgery. They had doctors coming in in their street clothes because it was a Saturday. They were on call. They had to rush me in. They had to do an immediate puncture of my chest. I had just come from a party having had lunch, so they couldn't even put me under. And so I was awake during surgery while they punctured <laughs> my chest and drained this fluid madly off my heart. We got it cleared. They told my wife that this is one of the types of black, or not black, uh, Widowmaker. Yeah, this is one of the Widowmaker scenarios okay. <laughs> that a couple, hours, if, a couple hours later and I would have been dead. So that was like quite scary because like cancer was already done, right? We got the cancer yeah, out and here it. I am, here I am. And I, I faced death closer that day than any, at any time during the actual cancer journey. So that was kind of crazy. Uh, I was put in the hospital again. And then my surgeon came to visit me a couple of days later and said, we want to go in there and do another surgery. We're, we're afraid why this happened. There might be cancer in your heart. We want to do a procedure called a pericardial window. So I had to agree to this. They had to go in another full surgery, but they entered me from the side this time. They got in there. They cut out a, I guess like a, I don't know how big, maybe a silver dollar or quarter size hole in the bottom of my heart's pericardial sac to test that tissue for cancer. It did not have any. So we escaped that one, but they created this permanent drain. So this way that if a fluid had ever built up again, it should just kind of drain down into my belly and not gather around the heart. So kind of saving me from possible future um, tamponades. So when they were in there, what had happened was the complication due to some inflammation, some fluids, my left lung and my heart ended up fusing together and the the two organs were stuck together. So they had to literally dissect the two organs off of each other and separate them and then do all their business. And so after all that, you know, I mentioned before I had a closed down heart well, now I had a literal hole. <laughs> it's like, okay, if you're not going to open your heart, we're going to friggin' open it for you. Uh, so physically now I had a hole in my heart or in my sack 
you know, so I'm like, all right, well, this is giving me this eye opening thing. So I, I spent two weeks in the hospital and recovering from that was gnarly. But the next year I was just down. I mean, it was, it was so much stress on my body and my heart that, yeah, it was very hard. Wow. But I, I, start, I started rebuilding. I got to work as soon as I could. I was inspired to keep going. I, you know, I, I started to do my physical workouts as soon as they cleared me, continued my spiritual practices, and then started creating with the effort of doing things with my art, artistry to help others. And the first thing I had, I desired to write a book, but my first inspiration was to create a full one-man show, a one-man play. Okay. And I spent most of 2018 writing and, and creating, you know, 20 characters. I played my doctors, my tumor at different parts of my body <laughs> and uh, there's music and there's, you know, we have, we shot almost a hundred videos during cancer itself. My wife inspired oh, me to, wow. to turn that camera on and go live, live on Facebook to YouTube. And so the videos were everywhere and just share everything because it was too hard to share updates you know, throughout my journey, it was just too hard to be continuously telling people what was going on. So do oh, a video, absolutely. tell people what's up. And then it turned out that, well, I, I'm kind of good at processing in front of the camera. And so when I was going through a challenge or a struggle, we'd put the camera on and I would process it out loud. And people were on the journey with me and they kept thanking me for being so raw and so honest and sharing that it was helping them face their issues and their struggles right. that I just kept doing them. So what was so great about not just helping other people is that now that I'm on the other side, I have all this footage of everything. So I can go back and watch. I can use those videos <clears throat> excuse me, in my one-man show, but also I have all the information of what I went through so that I can remember because, you know, chemo brain is a real thing. And yes, it is. I forgot a lot. I forgot yeah. a lot. A lot of black space. So being able to go back and look at those for writing my show and eventually writing my book, um, having those was priceless. Absolutely. And so we're gonna, and we're going to use those next for a film. So that that's the next that that's future. So you've compiled all this information. You're out there helping people, and you're getting feedback from all these people that that are saying, "Wow, thanks, thanks, Justin. You're you're being honest. Uh, you're you're saying how it is. Um, you're vulnerable, and you compile this now into basically an 18 minute speech at a TEDx." And it gets banned. <laughs> what happened there? Like all this vulnerability, all this honesty about such a heated issue like cancer. And you're up on stage, you're rocking it. And yeah. then they say, no, we're banning this video. <laughs> What's the that insanity was, there? That was like a, like a, slug to the gut. It really was. Um, so I long had desire to do a TED talk or a TEDx talk. I mean, I thought it'd be really cool. And as someone who even prior to cancer, I was already doing some motivational speaking on a lower level and I wanted to do that. And now I have this bigger platform and even more to speak about. And I started speaking for cancer charities and, you know, things at UCLA and just getting out there and sharing my story. Uh, I put the one man show on in 2019. I performed it five times. And during that spread, I started applying to TEDx talks. Okay. I ended up getting accepted at the, the one called TEDx Normal, because that's in a city called Normal, Illinois. It's where Illinois State University is. And I'm from Chicago. So yeah. it was kind of like, you know, right in the backyard. It made, it made sense for a TEDx talk. Right. I pitched my story. They dug it. They, they hired me or gave me a spot. I had to go out and write this speech, you know, this 15-minute speech. It had to be written and approved by the TEDx coach. We worked on it. 
few few tweaks here and there. Talk was approved. The I did my final performance here in LA of my show is in November. And then the next day I was getting on a plane to Chicago. And so I literally had to memorize my talk on the plane. And during the next week while I was in Chicago leading up to the, the event, I mean, I was that's how piled it was. We got down to Illinois State. I had friends and family there with me. It was an incredible experience getting on the big stage, on the red, the big red carpet, speaking just in my element, sharing yes. the story. There was a guy from the local CBS News there. Um, he needed to interview one of the speakers. They chose me and I was featured on the nightly news for uh, CBS News with an interview about the talk and just received such high accolades for what I did. So then, you know, it's all done. The team edits, et cetera, et cetera. We wait, we wait, we wait. Well, all the talks come out. My talk had gotten flagged. And to make a long story short, the TED organization, even though it was approved at the TEDx level, yes. I'm go coach it, the TED organization larger has the right to do what they will once everything's sent to them. And they said that we have an issue with this talk. It falls outside of our guidelines. But they didn't ever say what it was. My team offered, you know, the team at, at TEDx Normal offered, well, can we can we edit some piece out, you know, and, and just splice it? Is what's the part that you're having an issue with? You're right. And yeah. they just weren't very receptive to it. They just kept saying, all we're gonna say is it's outside of our guidelines. And then they eventually, after an appeal, they came to the ruling and they said, we're sorry, but we have chosen not to include this talk on our channels. Huh. And there it was. Incredible. No excuse given. Now, you know, if I would have gone on stage and said, I got diagnosed with cancer and I chanted and my tumor disappeared, it was magic. You know, maybe I could see them having an issue with that. Yeah, maybe. But at no, <laughs> at no point did I claim to magically erase my cancer or did I tell anyone else they could as well. Right. I talked about the diagnosis, the Western medicine, the treatment plan, all the approved germ cell tumor protocol. I clearly stated I did it all. Everything was included in there. I can only speculate that when I tied having a tumor in my heart to having a closed emotional heart and brought up some of that, that maybe that was the issue they had. But since they never told me, I never really got to figure that out. Right. I just had to live with the fact that I've been promoting this TED Talk and so excited about it to now only say, wah, 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 <laughs> and it'll never see the light of day. It was That was really hard. I really had to, it was depressing. It was difficult. I had to drop in. I had to make peace with it. I had to apply my own damn philosophy to embrace <laughs> and love the situation and find my way through it. And ultimately I said, okay, well, it's just a TEDx talk. It's not the be all end all of the world. I'm writing a book. I have a one man show. I'm doing other speaking gigs. My message is going no matter what. Exactly. Let me just get back to what I was doing. So I started working on my book. I started committing to that whole process. And then lo and behold, towards the end of 2020, I get a, a message from the team at TEDx Normal again. And they said, Justin, we're going to do another TEDx event for Normal for January, February. It's going to be all virtual since the world was totally shut down. Right, so everyone yes. is going to either self-tape their talk or for those who are near the college, we're going to you know, provide videotaping on our stage. But we'd love to have you back. We feel that your story, like they were so championing me. We'd love to have you back. Your story needs to be heard. Let's work on editing it together and come up with a new version that they cannot mm -hmm. deny. And this is where that old saying, fool me once, you know, fool me <laughs> twice, et cetera, et cetera. So ultimately I was like, 
well, okay, I'll do it. <laughs> let's, right. let's try it. But I still wanted my redemption. And so we worked on it. We took out all the language that seemed like it would be at, at all woo-woo whatsoever. Like I, I toned down the woo and I brought in proof. So this time I didn't have quotes on the stage behind me and my slides during the, the first event, but I brought in, like I talked about, you know, how cancer can be caused by, by traumas. There's a, a study by Harvard that links childhood trauma to illnesses and they include cancer on that list of illnesses. So when I talked about the closed heart, the trauma, the tumor, I threw up the slide from friggin' Harvard that says right. childhood trauma can lead to illnesses that include XYZ and cancer. And I brought in other information, but every time I made a claim, I brought in a study on a slide. So this time I had to produce it myself. Thank God my wife and I have our, our filmmaking company. We rented out the local theater where I had performed my one man show many times. I even bought a, a big red, like children's rug that a big circle <laughs> rug. So I dropped it on the ground on the theater. So it looked like I was on the Ted stage. We had lighting. I had the slides that I produced and we had multiple cameras and good audio. And we just really dialed it up. I did the editing myself and made a really beautiful talk, like packaged better than anything I had seen TEDx make. Yes. Uh, submitted it. My team approved it, said we're good to go. They did the live event in February. It was all virtual. My talk aired. It was seen by everybody that was tuned on. Uh, they brought me on for a Q&A. Everything went great. Yay, here we go. And then next up is it's going off to TED. Two months go by. Everyone from TEDx and my latest group of 10 all other nine people, their talks were on the TED YouTube and the website. My talk was not. So I no wrote the team, way. what's going on? Where's my talk? <laughs> They're like, well, it's probably just being held up in review since maybe you're a return speaker and blah, 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 blah. I waited another two months and then I finally got the word from my team. TED just wrote us and unfortunately, we're sorry to say that they are not allowing your talk on their network, on their channel or anywhere. They've given us not a single reason they just said we're not including justin's talk sorry and my team was like we're so sorry we believe in you we disagree we appealed many times but this is this is where it's at we can't do anything about it but it's your talk you did it you made it you can share it with whoever you want to so i'm like all right well i'm not going to have the backing of the ted organization so i'm sure it's not going to get as many views but i made it i have it yeah. I, I put it on my own YouTube channel and just shared it myself. You it's know, it's an gotten amazing, like it's an amazing, amazing talk. People, Thank people you. need to watch this. Uh, we'll Thank put you. the link in the show notes there for sure. I appreciate it. It's a yeah, great so talk. It, it, it's up there. I really appreciate that. People have gotten to see it. Maybe it didn't get the same sort of audience that it would have. But once again, I was like, you know what? Again, it's just a talk. Yep. I am doing so many bigger things right now. Like I just finished writing the first draft of my book which has been a several year long process. And the book is a, a teaching memoir. It's, it's my story, my entire cancer journey with all the details, plus some backstory of my life and moments of teaching woven throughout it. So it's kind of like self-help meets the memoir. Nice. And I'm in the process of editing the book right now. I'm gonna, my goal is to get the, the editing done this year and figure out where I'm gonna go with publishing. So I don't have the answers as to where it will be, but I will tell you that it will be out sooner rather than later and to continue building upon the speaking career and doing whatever I can with what I have. I'm gonna bring my one man show back now that the world's open again and theaters are playing again. And then my wife and I are in the process of fundraising to create a documentary film that we call Caregiving Cancer, The Silent Heroes. 
And this is when we're going to use a lot of elements from our, all the videos that we did in our story, but nice. we're going to tell it through my wife's eyes. So we're going to let her take uh -huh. the lead on this one. And this is a movie that's being dedicated to cancer caregivers so that we can learn about the plight of a cancer journey through the eyes of the caregiver. There's nothing like this that has been made. And there's really, when you get a diagnosis, the caregiver is just, what do I do? There's like, right. here's a, a hundred pamphlets. Good luck. No, there's no information provided. And we want to create a space that not just shares stories from different cancer um, caregivers, including our stories, so that people can get hope and inspiration who are going through it, but also to provide resources and information and knowledge so that anytime someone gets diagnosed and there's a, a patient and a caregiver, like here's, here's your, here's your guide. Watch this. This will help you tremendously. That's our goal. You know, I don't know if this is, will, will make us money, but we are trying to make it with at least not losing money because we feel so passionate about making something to get out there that will help so many people around the world because the, the cancer numbers are higher than they've ever been and they're only climbing. Exactly. And you really have embodied that uh, embrace uh, love and you're doing this stuff. And it is, it's amazing. And I, I applaud you. Um, where can people find you to stay updated on what you're doing and on the, the previous things that, that you've released? Uh, how, how can they find you, follow amazing. you? Amazing. Kind of like the easiest thing to do is just to go to justinsandler.com. My website's like the one-stop shop. It's got links to my socials. It's got links to my TED Talk, the film that I mentioned earlier. Everything's on that page. Um, our company is Three Cubed Studios, so we have a website with that as well. You can find my TED Talk on my website or just by going to YouTube and putting in Justin Sandler TEDx. It'll be the first thing that pops up. Nice. You know, and if you go on any on the social medias, you know, if you know my name, you'll find me. And I'm on Instagram and Facebook and Twitter and TikTok and whatever else the kids are doing these days, a Friendster or something, whatever. Um, <laughs> whatever we're on these days, uh, I you know try to keep up with having a, a presence, YouTube, etc. And uh, we'll continue to share information there. And if you do land on my website, justinsandler.com, on the, on the bottom of the homepage, there is a little place to put your email address in for my mailing list. Um, that would be a great way as well to stay in touch with me. I, I do not send daily, weekly, or even monthly newsletters. I think the last time I sent one was about a year ago. So I, I very much respect the newsletter process. And it's one of those things where if you give me information, it will not be sold, but it'll be used when there's a very important and beneficial update about a book coming out or a film coming out or something going on. Um, and that way, at least we can stay in touch. And you can also contact me through the website. There's a contact page. And I, and I say that because, and to the best of my ability and my availability, I said uh, right from the get-go, if someone's going through cancer and they're having a struggle, reach out to me. And people were contacting me right from the beginning not even for themselves, for their, their friend or their cousin or whomever saying they're going through this, they're having a struggle. Can you help them? And I was doing consultation calls and supporting people that I'd never met. Some never met to this day just to help, help them process what they were going through and listen from someone who's been there and just provide some perspective. So as long as I have the time to do it and someone wants some support, I'll do my best to jump on a zoom or a call or, or emails or whatever and I'll help. I had people that contacted me from other countries um, that found my little, I did used to do little quirky videos and little, I had a song called It's Chemo Time that I sung and danced and <laughs> chemo, just being silly. And, and yep. lo and behold, a, a woman in Canada found me 
um, because her younger sister was going through the same kind of cancer and she was trying to find anyone who had gone through it and survived right. for some hope. And they reached out to me and we connected and became friends. I had a fella in India who found me on Instagram and for his friend who was going through a germ cell. So, you know, the world is big and it's also small. And when you put it out there, you know, people will find you. And I'm very open to helping wherever I can. I think that I was given a second chance at life and I'm going to continue to do the best that I can to help others. And on, an, on a more personal level, I see where I still have work to do too. I still have the, I still have this sometimes feeling that my heart wants to close or that I want to hide or run. And so I have to keep reminding myself that this journey was a, a big part of my life. And a lot of the old me sometimes wants to creep in and, and I have to honor and respect that it's, that it's there and it's part of who I am, but it's not part of who I am moving forward. Right. And so it's a, it's a, you know, it's a journey that never stops. It's a constant <laughs> learning. It's a constant movement. It's waking up every day, even on the hardest of days and then whatever the challenges are and still staring them down and being like, okay, every challenge or obstacle that comes our way, big or small is giving us an opportunity. And if we can just bring them in and face them and figure out how to go through them, every time we face one, we're going to expand our lives. We're going to help ourselves. We're going to help other people. And this is, this is how human beings really thrive. We, this we is inspirational. This is absolutely amazing work you're doing. And it does bring out that embrace love free model you have. And I'm just going to going to cut it off right here because people need to find you. And if you haven't got that feeling yet, then you haven't been listening to this episode. So find Justin Sandler and make sure you sign up for his newsletter and stay tuned for his book. Stay tuned for, for the next documentary series coming out and stay tuned to the next episode of The Hardy Brain, the show that takes athletic introverted entrepreneurs and leaders and transforms them into ironclad brain performers. Take care, everyone. Thank you. 